Hello and welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we are back. <laughs> we uh, rolled into 2022, or should I say I rolled into 2022 sick. <laughs> yeah, I feel like most people are doing that, though. I, I was sick the week before 2022. That's true. So, yeah, I just didn't so- take it with me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, like, lingered for me. I've been feeling like this almost a week now. Uh, But I finally, (laughs) in my personal opinion, I don't sound awful anymore. (laughs) No. So I'm going to apologize because I'm sure everyone can hear it. I'm still, like, a little nasally or congested. (laughs) So I'm really sorry in advance. (laughs) Don't let her fool you. She's just over there plugging her nose. <laughs> like, Sydney and I have contemplated silence the last few days. And I'll text her every day and be like, oh, these people all have told me I sound like crap. So we're not. <laughs> and today I was like, okay, we're still good on- for today. I was told I sound much better today. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone keeping it real with me. <laughs> I love it. Those are the people you got to keep in your life. The people that tell you, you sound like shit today. <laughs> yeah, my uh, boyfriend's mom called me the other morning to, like, see how I was doing. And she literally said, oh, you still sound like shit. And I was like, okay, thanks, Lynn. <laughs> Appreciate it's like, it. <laughs> kind of rude in the moment, but I feel like afterwards it's one of those things, like, I, I am kind of happy that they, they took the time to tell me that. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I did feel better about it, like, n- knowing that it wasn't just in my head. <laughs> exactly. Well, it'll be probably a shorter case for us today. And it worked out because I still sound meh. So hopefully you all can bear with us here. And uh, thank you for hanging on as well for the late episode I'll take a hundred percent of the blame and poor Cindy has just been flying by the seat of her pants by (laughs) whatever would work for me man I don't have a life it's totally fine (laughs) it's not that serious for being a real one so (laughs) it's not that serious guys and you know we've been doing this for almost almost a year now (laughs) Yeah, and this was the first like delay, so I think we're doing good. I agree. I think I was pretty impressed with that. I was like, you know, we're like three months ish to a year or so, like since we first released an episode. But I feel like we started recording like February of last year, and we haven't had anything yet. So, cheers to us. Cheers to us. I'm so proud of us. Yeah, our first episode. Oh, like three months from today. Yeah. Is that lit? We're almost to a year. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll stop detouring. (laughs) And I guess uh, we can get the show on the road before I forget how to do this. (laughs) In early 2010, all seemed well for Diana DeMaio. 
She was a recent college graduate who moved back to the Metro Detroit area with the intentions of figuring out her next steps. In the meantime, she would reconnect with old classmates and friends, and at times seemed very happy. Unfortunately, the life she was starting to live with those around her would be the cause of her untimely and tragic death. Diana DeMeo was a 23-year-old woman who had recently graduated from the University of Miami. She was beautiful and very smart, and she did graduate with honors from college, which I think is impressive when you go to, like, a somewhat big school like that. Like many young adults fresh out of college, as I mentioned already, she was really trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. And she had a lot of dreams of like owning her own rescue animal shelter or something along those lines. Diana was an avid animal lover, and she even had her own pup that she rescued. In early 2010, she had moved back home to the Detroit area and reconnected with a former classmate. Peter Dobbish. Diana was previously from Novi, Michigan, and like I said, she decided to head back to the area. Just thought it was a little fun fact to point out because Novi is right next door to where I live, so. Close to home, folks. Close to home. (laughs) Peter Dobbish was a 24-year-old who was an heir to a decent fortune. Peter's father, Norman Dobbish, was the co-founder of Powerhouse Gyms, which is a large chain of gyms in the Midwest. Now, a lot of you who are listening not in the Midwest area might have never heard of it. Sydney, have you, do you guys have Powerhouse Gyms by you? So I think you had mentioned this previously when you said you wanted to do this case, and I don't think we do anywhere near me but I know what it is from Michigan and I think they're everywhere here (laughs) yeah and I feel like they might have them in Illinois possibly too because I definitely like I've seen them before but I don't believe we don't have any at least like in my like area they might have them more towards like Milwaukee when I was in high school my dad actually paid for him my sister and I all to have gym memberships and we went to a powerhouse So, like, that was the first, like, real gym membership I ever had was at Powerhouse. (laughs) Interesting. It's, like, um, like, I have a Planet Fitness. I've been to, like, Lifetime and LA Fitness and all those, like, big ones. And it's more, it is definitely smaller, but it is geared towards, like, focusing on, like, I don't want to say, like, actually working out because a lot of people go to Planet Fitness and, like, actually work out. But it really started from, like, the weightlifting culture. So it was geared towards, like, people who were very serious about it. Norman took his passion in weightlifting and literally built it into a gym empire. From everything I was reading, they said his, like, passion in weightlifting was what inspired it. And not only that, but it also came with, like, various merchandise, apparel. They have tons of different like protein powders and smoothies and stuff like that it's just like a lot of merchandise involved too so norman dobish passed away in 2005 due to a heart attack and 
I'm going to mention it here. I'll mention it again later. But Peter wasn't, like, involved in this family business. But he did grow up in the gyms himself. He was a big guy who worked out often. And he also considered himself a weightlifter. Although Peter was not involved in that business, he also grew up with a very comfortable lifestyle and wanted for nothing. He basically grew up into money. Peter and Diana started seeing each other and things were definitely getting pretty serious. Uh, She even wanted Peter to like meet her family and he did meet her dad. He had made comments like he would front the money for Diana to open her own shelter, just like she had always dreamed of. Cause like I said, he came for money. And so this like seemed really great for Diana, but a lot of things in her life like really weren't going according to plan. There are many things that left her family and friends kind of questioning her and her decisions and relationships. She had begun taking anti-anxiety medication. I'll say like for me that doesn't really mean anything and like that doesn't mean things are bad. I think that's like normal <laughs> for a lot of people now. But her mom did kind of take it as like a red flag that her life was seeming a bit more difficult. Uh Peter also did not leave a great impression with her family. I guess when he had dinner with her and her father he showed up late and there were comments that he seemed like high on potentially more than smoking weed (laughs) peter was on edge and was like kind of rude and hostile so diana's father did not have a great impression of him and felt like after he left dinner he felt like it was like a really intense (laughs) dinner situation and he was not a fan Things were progressing with Peter and Diana, though, and they spent a lot of time together. They had even talked about, supposedly, or she had mentioned to her family, potentially moving in together. In the meantime, Peter did decide to, like, make a move himself. He had been living in a condo in Waterford, Michigan, and in March of 2010, decided to move into an upscale apartment complex in Detroit where Diana and her rescue dog would spend time together with him. Unfortunately, this move would not go planned for all individuals. In March of 2010, Diana helped her boyfriend move into his new Detroit apartment. So it was an upscale apartment, as I mentioned before, where a lot of famous athletes were known to live. So it was, like, quite a nice place. I will say this, like, there are... (laughs) A lot of bad impressions of the city of Detroit. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, it has like a lot of people thinking like the whole city is kind of like run down. It's not. There are a lot of like really nice apartments or areas. Uh, I'm actually wearing a hoodie that says Corktown, which is like a neighborhood in Detroit. (laughs) But so like some neighborhoods are really nice and a lot of like if you're in downtown area, there's a lot of upscale restaurants and like lofts and condos kind of thing. So it is like the nicer area, probably like directly downtown where more people would stay if you're living in the city of Detroit. They spent the day in, like I said, March, moving things into Peter's new place. 
And Diana was also, as I also said, accompanied by her dog who she had rescued while in Florida for college. I looked it up because originally my notes said Miami, Ohio. <laughs> Uh, and I always, you don't watch The Office, Sid, but there's, like, this episode where and the girl leaves to go with her boyfriend who's going to teach at the University of Miami, and she's so excited, and then she realizes it's in, oh, it's in Ohio, <laughs> not Florida. <laughs> what? Because uh, there is <laughs> University of Miami there. But her mom was still living in Florida, and, like, the articles I read was, like, after she moved back home to Michigan, her mom was still living in Florida. So it was made me feel like she was definitely living in Florida for college. So I just want to throw that out there because there's multiple University of Miami locations. At about 6.19 in the morning, Peter Dobbish called 911 and frantically indicated that Diana was overdosing. He had explained she overdosed on her anti-anxiety medication and had fallen down, like, and taken a terrible fall. When paramedics arrived, she was unconscious and unresponsive. Diana did have lots of blood on her, and later, even her dog that was there would have blood found in his fur, and she was rushed to the hospital. Her mother was called, and at that time, she, like I said, she was living in Florida, and was notified that there was a drug overdose and Diana was on life support. So she obviously rushed, got on a flight, and, like, was there immediately. Diana was on life support, and at first, the family really thought she might pull out of it. Like I said, they were told it was a drug overdose, so they were really confused how it could have gone so horribly. And it became very clear to doctors that there was no brain activity and Diana really would not pull through. Her family made the tough decision to take her off life support and Diana died on March 11th, 2010. When Diana's wake came, there was roughly 500 people that showed up, which personally to me, like that truly speaks volumes to who she was as a person, especially at like such a young age. The day of the wake, the funeral director contacted Diana's mother, notifying her he had received the death certificate, and it was a bit of a shock. The cause of death literally would shock all of Diana's friends and family, because like I said, they all assumed it was a drug overdose and no one had said anything previously, but it was declared she died due to homicide, and it was multiple blunt force trauma. So, like, if you're looking like one of those memes that have, like, a bunch of question marks around you, uh, that's literally how all of Diana's family and friends felt. The picture Peter had painted was that Diana had seemed frantic and suicidal. He said that she was so worried about, he was so worried about her that night that he took all of the knives from their apartment and threw them out the window in fear she would harm herself, which also seems really dangerous in my opinion. But throwing she's a walking bunch of down the street and there's just like knives flying. <laughs> walking down the sidewalk, just Ooh, that's shit. like literally what I pictured, and I was like, oh, that doesn't seem smart. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't feel like that's a 
I'm just literally picturing like someone just like dodging knives. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, looking up. Like, where are these coming from? It also doesn't seem realistic to me, but I guess that's just my opinion. No, that's like some something you see on like a SpongeBob episode. <laughs> literally. Okay, but back to the seriousness. So he basically said Dinah was frantic. She was making comments that she was suicidal. He was like really worried about her that night. And he said that finally she took an overdose of her anti-anxiety medication. He didn't know whether it was on purpose or a suicide attempt. And she had a terrible fall. She had been bleeding from her nose and from a cut by near her eyes due to this fall. And he was adamant that night of like the events that happened when he called 911, when he spoke to the paramedics, all of this. So police, obviously, Diana's family goes right to the police, like, and contacts them. Like, hello, what's going on? Which I would, too. Uh, seems a bit confusing. Didn't even realize that this was a murder or homicide investigation. So, like, what are you doing about it? And police are like, oh, good question. <laughs> and so they decide to head over to Peter's apartment to look into it further to kind of investigate the crime scene, which is now what that is considered, in question Peter again since things really aren't adding up. Uh, small problem, though. <laughs> the apartment is freshly cleaned and basically cleaned out. Since it was originally not treated as a homicide by any means, Peter was allowed access to the crime scene, which was the, his own apartment, and he had everything cleaned up and cleaned out. I will say, too, from, like, another source I saw, it did seem like the paramedics pretty much were like, ah, it doesn't seem like this was just, like, a drug overdose and a fall. But they weren't, like, 911 operators or, like, police weren't sent. It was just the paramedics when 911 got the call. And paramedics didn't really notify anyone because she was still breathing, so they were more worried about keeping her alive. Which, in my opinion, also actually really makes sense. Crime scene investigators decided to come and check out the apartment anyways. And they discovered that one of the kitchen cabinet doors was, a, was removed from under the sink. It actually was later found in the basement of the building. And they took it to the lab where it was determined there were three separate blows into the door which like obviously does not fit into peter's story because i'm sorry if like someone has a drug overdose and falls there's no way you're like hitting your head or body against the cabinet door three separate times seems like that doesn't add up <laughs> that also seems like a weird i mean i guess i don't know the like actual mapping I can't think of the right term like of the actual apartment like the layout of it but like it seems yeah. like the the cabinet that's underneath your sink to be hitting your head on seems like a weird choice uh yes like maybe if you hit your head on like the you know I don't know like the coffee table or the side of the counter or something like that that might be make more sense but like the one the sink underneath well, the sink and, like, if you're falling down, your odds probably are, like, you're going to hit something horizontal. Yeah. Nothing, like, vertical to your fall. 
Yes, <laughs> correct. So, like, you're also correct there. So, crime scene investigators also determined that although everything had been cleaned up and not done, been done thoroughly, which, let's be honest, it usually isn't. There was blood spatter in an isolated corner of the apartment, as well as on the ceiling in that area, which, I don't know, like, Sydney, you never watched Dexter, right? No. Okay, so I know a lot about blood spatter analysis, (laughs) and I can probably thank Dexter for this, and, like, Law and Order and CSI and all that stuff, but, like, usually if there is something on the ceiling and on the ground, especially, like, blood, there's only, like, a couple, there's really, like, a limited two reasons, so when the, she fell, she had to have hit herself with enough force to fly that fluid all the way up to the ceiling, which is, like, damn near impossible. And even if she did, odds are it's probably a couple specks. It's more likely that something or someone that was hitting her and had it on them and the blood would spatter as they keep pulling back or, like, lift their arm up and, like, or a bat up. Like, if you're someone swinging a bat right? And, like, you're gonna fling it wherever. So, I, like, once I heard it was on the ceiling, I was like, oh, it's a wrap. (laughs) Doesn't look good. Even, like, the fact that, um, her dog, like, it was enough that the dog's coat had been, like, stained with blood. Like, they had brought the dog to, like, a pet resort or something, and they were like, what the hell is in this dog's fur? And had to, like, wash it. And we're like, yeah, like, there's coated blood in the fur of this dog like I I feel like you know I've had nosebleeds before where you know my parents dog or my dog was around but like I didn't you know he wasn't coated with blood like right what it just it doesn't add up like correct it's a lot of blood and it doesn't add up for like a fall during a drug overdose another thing that really showed the investigators that Peter was not telling the truth is the toxicology report that was run on Diana. There was no presence of any drugs or alcohol in her system except a normal low dosage of her anti-anxiety medication. So they found no drugs in her system, but what did they find that would cause the medical examiner to declare a homicide? Well, there was evidence of blunt force trauma to Diana's shoulder, her eye, and eight separate blows to her head, which caused massive bleeding and a brain injury. At this point in time, with all these things adding up, it, like, definitely amped up this investigation and led police to dig into Peter Dobish and his background a little more. He had connections to drugs and misdemeanors for various things, some which did point and suggest that there was some sort of violence and erratic behavior in his background, and some of them involved his ex-girlfriends. Police also tracked down quite a few of Peter's exes, and 
basically they all told very similar stories of how Peter had threatened to kill or maim them. And all of them were extremely terrified of him, even still with their relationships being well over. A lot of them even had protection orders out against Peter because he was so violent and erratic. So three weeks after Diana DeMaio's death, Peter is officially charged with her murder. And on March 30th, 2010, Peter is arrested after turning himself in. He was supposedly on the run for weeks. Like, I saw that, like, a couple times. But I can't really tell if he was, like, really on the run or he had just disappeared a bit during the investigation and made himself unavailable. I do know once they officially like issued an arrest warrant for him, he immediately turned himself in to his lawyer's office and they turned he like in turn came forward. So during the trial that would ensue, it was determined that Peter would be charged with first degree murder and torture. So this was one of the first cases in Detroit to ever actually charge torture in it. So I thought that was, like, really interesting. I never knew that. Uh, And I'll talk about (laughs) where I heard that in a little bit when we get there. (laughs) So I guess, like, torture seems like a very strong word, right? And when I read that and saw it, I'm like, well, how could they determine that he really did torture her? And I guess it was very obvious from her autopsy that there was a prolonged period of assault and inflicting pain on Diana. So because it was over a long period of time and it wasn't just like within a half an hour, an hour, it was several hours that this attack occurred the torture charge could be added on. It also helped helped to fuel the fire and deny bail on Peter's case. What really happened that night to set off Peter and cause this vicious attack leading to Diana's death, no one will really know. But many speculate, and in court, the prosecutors came up with, like, a pretty solid theory, in my opinion. They painted Peter to be an angry and jealous man, and he was threatened by interactions that Diana had with other men. He accused her of cheating and flirting with them. Something that night set Peter off, and he attacked Diana, hitting her repeatedly over a long period of time. Like I said, it was apparent from her injuries that it was not a sporadic rage attack. It happened over a long period of time where he had many opportunities to kind of let off and leave her be, but he did not. For hours, he tortured her and had her cornered in one side of the apartment, and unfortunately, her poor pup was around the entire time as well. It was very apparent from the blood spatter analysis that the attack was all in one corner of the apartment, which also fueled this whole theory. There were reports of threatening or ominous phone calls that Peter made to Diana's family that also came up during trial. 
supposedly during the attack or like not while he was beating her but in those hours of him attacking her he had made some sort of call to diana's father and told him she could not come to the phone because she was crying which like yikes doesn't look good to you The phone call started supposedly a week or so before Diana's death, and her family called them obscene. While she was in the hospital, they also received a call from someone asking if she was dead, and then Peter Dobbish got on the line yelling and cussing. Again, it supposedly happened after she died, where they received a call asking about the funeral arrangements, before yet again Peter Dobbish started yelling into the phone. It also came out that during his 911 phone call and when he was talking with paramedics, he was using a lot of slurs. He kept saying, like, that bitch overdose or that bitch OD'd or that bitch this. Like, he, that's how he kept referring to her, according to the uh, paramedics, which is, like, <laughs> not a great look. During the trial, many of Peter's exes took the stand, who still had protection orders out against him, and they told their stories of his abuse, whether physical, mental, or emotional, and his threats towards them and their families. A lot of them also received a lot of threatening phone calls. The jury delivered a guilty verdict, and in November of 2010, the judge sentenced Peter Davish to a mandatory life sentence plus a 23 to 80 year sentence for the torture. Peter was still only 24 at the time of his conviction. Before I go into my fun facts, was there anything you wanted to add, Sid? I know I kind of rushed through it. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, a couple other things just based off of what you had said that I had found. So I actually read, and I don't know the correct so like in wisconsin um when they file like a criminal case against someone it's a criminal complaint and i found like his appeals version of like the criminal complaints or what he was fighting in his appeal um and one of the things that they had mentioned that might have set him off or what they were referencing had set him off from the prosecution's end um was that diana had moved some items of hers into the apartment without his consent and he had been very upset with like the I'm assuming it was like a security or like maintenance people at this apartment complex for letting her into the building without his consent or what he felt was his consent but it sounded like she had a key anyway so it was like he wanted them to like stop her and be like no you can't bring that in here like you don't live here since his name was on the actual apartment and Another thing with, you had said he was kind of jealous and, you know, he had these feelings that she might have been flirting with people. One of the people or the main people that he believed she was cheating with or talking to was these apartment complex workers. And it was said that she had even given her phone number to one of the workers. That might have been something that set him off. Yeah, I did see, like, the doorman was mentioned. Yeah. So and that, was that a, would make a lot of sense. Because I think the, it didn't say a specific like position, but if the doorman, that would be a perfect example of somebody. Um, 
another thing that I read in there that I thought was super interesting was you had mentioned that initial 911 call had come in at 6.19 a.m., but there was another aborted call from his cell phone that happened at 3.19 a.m. that basically he called it and then he must have hung up and it was disregarded as like a prank or a hang-up call. So there was two attempts of 911 phone calls, but only one he followed through with. So it's kind of questioned if when he called at three in the morning, was that when, you know, she initially had OD'd quotes or was tortured and was struggling at that point and then he left her there for three hours? Like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah, and I couldn't find anything about, like, the crime scene or what it looked like when paramedics arrived because Mm -hmm. that would also make a lot of sense if he took the time to clean stuff up like appearance wise before they got there because I can only imagine how much like blood spatter there would be at that time and three hours is a lot of time to clean up if you need to. Absolutely and it's like when they came in if they're thinking you know it was a nosebleed and then I think you said she had another cut, like, on her head. Yeah, like, right above her eye. So that's, that, I don't know, I guess that kind of shrugs it off. Like, it's not a whole lot of blood. It's not like, you know, she had a huge wound, like, she's gushing all this blood. You know, it's not described that way at all. Even if you just wiped up some blood from her face, she'd probably look a lot more presentable than someone that had been laying there for three hours, like, bleeding from her head. Yeah. Well, and, like, his whole defense, you know, it could be, like, it was in the middle of the night. He called it 619 in the morning. So, it could have happened, you know, where she took this fall hours before and he just didn't get up and see her. But I think you, that was a really good point. I didn't even see that, that he had attempted to call three hours before and just, like, hung up. So, like, that's a red flag, sir. (laughs) Yep, it was considered to be, I think, an aborted call is the way that they referenced it. So there was a phone call attempted, but then, you know, you hang up on the first ring before anyone answers, and they just apparently ignore those. I don't... Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting, though, because one time Morgan called the cops on me, and she hung up right away when we were little, and they showed up. But that was, so- like, before cell phones, so I'm sure it was a little different. And I've done that before, <laughs> like, where I've never, I guess what I'm trying to say, knock on wood, um, you know, like, sometimes you hold, like, the power button down, like, on your iPhone, and then it, like, goes to, like, that emergency mode or whatever, and, like, if yeah. you press the wrong button, it calls 911. So I've done that before, and, like, no one's ever came. And, like, it was definitely calling 911. I was just like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. But no one ever came. And, like, I've done that, like, more Oh, well, than I guess once, she I waited until someone answered, and then she hung up. <laughs> So, yeah, so I guess, like, if someone actually answers, but, like, if it's still ringing, I think that would be considered, like, an aborted call. Aborted call, yeah. If they probably follow up on all those. (laughs) They probably don't. No, there's probably so (laughs) many of them. Looking back, I don't know why they called so, or showed up so fast after my sister called and hung up five seconds after someone said hello. (laughs) Just because it went through, you made it to the you made it to the person. So like now they have to do something about I it. I mean, and this was probably early, like early two thousand. She couldn't have been more than like six or seven. So oh two oh three. <laughs> Prior to the cell phones, it might not have been, I guess, as common. Like as like, those. Yeah, that was twenty years ago. <laughs> Who knows? 
Yeah, they were they showed up quick as fuck to our house though. So, uh, <laughs> if you live in Madison Heights, Michigan, the cops you will arrive very quickly. <laughs> Be careful out there. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I guess I don't know what the terms of aborted calls are, but you're right. I think if someone's just like outgoing and it's a ringing and you hang up, that would probably qualify. So. He probably started calling. I was like, oh, got to change my mind. Got something else to do. Yeah, like, I did do I actually do I want to do like, this? I did kind of see, and I couldn't, like, figure it out. It just really, that article really more talked about the case. But it was from, like, 2000, 2001. So pretty recent, where he was still appealing and trying to fight the case and, like, get it overturned. Mm-hmm. So, um... He is still trying to fight his improve his innocence, which is why I mentioned, like, we'll never know. Um, Some of these cases where, like, people are convicted, they do talk or, like, they cut a deal or, like, they confess to somewhat. He has denied it adamantly that he is innocent. Um, I just think that everything else points to him being guilty. (laughs) It's one of those things, though, like, it's not unheard of, like, where people fight their innocence and claim they're innocent like up until they're literally about to die or like yeah. the last the last interview they're gonna give you know whatever and then they finally like admit it for whatever reason I had just seen and it wasn't even like a big I don't feel like it was anyone like big it was just like uh something on um like ID network I was watching the other day and this guy killed somebody and like he never admitted to it said that he was innocent the entire time and I was like half watching it half sleeping and then I watched the end and he had like his final interview with somebody and the lady was like yeah I was the only person that he ever finally admitted like yeah I did kill this individual and then he never had like another interview after that he ended up dying like a couple weeks later and I was like that's that's pretty wild so it's like they that is wild I don't want to die with a guilty conscience like let's just get it over with yeah, it really irks me when, like, all these people have died and you never heard anything. And, like, I tagged you in the article. That guy on his deathbed told his family he, like, robbed that his That shit bank, was like, wild. Like, 50 years before, 40 years before. And, like, his wife, his kids, they never knew. No one ever would have guessed. He, like, literally robbed this bank and, like, disappeared. His real family thought he was dead. And, like, on his yes. deathbed, he confessed, confessed to, like, his wife and his kids. And it was and, interesting. And, like, what his real like, name was. <laughs> yes. And there was, like, a friend or something or, like, a neighbor who was, like, a coworker. Maybe. I don't remember. But he was, like, you know, now that I think about it, like, it was kind of weird because, like, he never would talk about, like, where he came from or, like, his family. And, like, he didn't really have any family yeah. besides, like, his current family. And I was, like, man. This is insane. I literally read that whole thing like three times. I was like, this is the most wild shit I've ever read. I mean, I'm all for like deathbed confessions because like also we don't know what's, you know, the afterlife, right? So Mm -hmm. why not confess your sins before you go? And like, worst case, you're like leaving this earth with a little less weight on your shoulders. Um, There's some cases that I'm like super passionate about (laughs) that are unsolved uh some cases my like probably my big one will never cover (laughs) and I say that because it's a massive case and uh 
I think every podcast has like ever covered it, <laughs> but it would be like the West yeah. Memphis dream. That's like one that like keeps me up at night. <laughs> um, but like some of those people that potentially were real suspects or should have been real suspects. And now that they've died, you like don't really know. Although I will say DNA, <laughs> they finally like the West Memphis case is finally going to test DNA. So hopefully we have an update here within the next couple months of like who they really think is the killer, but or killers. But like sometimes you don't have DNA to answer those questions. So it's I'm true. all for deathbed confessions. Maybe we'll get one from Peter Davish. <laughs> Probably we not. Might. Well, you never know. You never know, though. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It could be anybody. Like when you sit there that whole time, and then if you decide, you know, I'm gonna change the way that I look at life. I'm gonna find Jesus. I'm gonna do this, that, and the other. You never know what those motherfuckers are gonna say. They come out with all kinds of crazy shit. Maybe they'll, uh, you know, some people write memoirs. Maybe they'll throw it out in there. Who fucking knows? That's people true. Are, those people are got a lot of time on their hands. Okay, they got a lot of thinking. A lot of. A <laughs> yeah, lot it's, of a, thinking. it's a long sentence ahead of him. So. Especially when uh, you're one of 24. my fun facts is that it was featured on season three, episode five of Behind Mansion Walls on an ID network. Uh, I did watch it. <laughs> it was very cringeworthy. Oh. Um, well, I mean, I got some like good information on there. Uh, they did it. They did have like a journalist on there who covered the case because like they because it was reported as like a drug overdose at first. No one really covered it. It picked it up for like over a week about like what actually happened. Uh, and he was one of the first ones. And he said like a cop friend like kind of leaked it to him. And then there was also the prosecutor or one of the prosecutors from the case who was featured there. And she talked about some of the stuff that they saw. And, like, so I thought that was interesting because I got some information from that that I couldn't find in articles, like, about the crime scene and stuff like that. Uh, that was very cringeworthy, though, because I rewinded one part <laughs> and made uh, my boyfriend watch. And so they're talking about, like, this Skyrise apartment in Detroit. And it was, like, uh... Down below where sirens and gunshots ring out. And that high up in the apartment complex. Or in this sky rise apartment. Where you can't hear any of that below. And I'm like this is so dramatic. <laughs> like I'm sorry. Is that your picture of Detroit? There are like sirens and gunshots ringing out all the time. <laughs> That's like how a handful of those shows are though. Like I don't. I used to be like so obsessed with like all the stuff on like ID Network. And some of it's so, like, cringy now. Like, there's only a few shows that I actually watch on there. Because, like, there's some that are just so dramatic. Or, like, the acting is just, like, cringy, too. It's like, why are you doing yeah. that? Stop. Why are you moving like that? Stop. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> this one, I had never watched this one before. And I was like, ooh, yikes. Probably won't keep watching it. But... <laughs> uh, and I did also, so like, a couple other... Fun facts. Um, one of them is that I saw a lot of claims in like articles when they first came out saying uh, like a friend, like Diana was a friend. Um, but I do like just really want to clarify that 
everything I saw, they were in a relationship together and the attack stemmed from him being jealous of her, like, interactions and speaking with other men. So it was, like, very clear that they were in a relationship together. Even if he, like, never put that label on it, he, like, met her father at dinner and, like, stuff like that. Like, they were in a relationship. And I also saw... Sorry. No, I was just saying, like, I definitely agree with that. And I, I, di- I couldn't tell if it was, like, him. Because it also seemed like the there was some references with the parents. So, like, the parents were trying to shrug it off. Like, no, she wasn't dating someone that would do this to her. But it kind of seemed like it might have been a mixture of both. Like, yeah. Which is rather unfortunate. And I did also see claims in some places of, like, Peter Dobbish being a millionaire. But I also want to emphasize that is not the case. (laughs) And it was, like, never proven to be the case. Like, he wasn't a millionaire. He owned no stakes in the powerhouse gym business. And when his father had passed away, any remaining shares were either sold off or other family members were involved and held that. But, like, it wasn't him. I mean, don't get me wrong. His family was wealthy. In the behind mansion walls, the prosecutor said, like, his mom, like, really tried to help push for bail. She offered up her own home and her mother's home that she had, like, share or held title on or whatever. So, like, she tried to offer up, like, two very nice cushy homes and <laughs> nice areas, and uh, they weren't going for it. Which is good, because he might have left. <laughs> Well, I guess that's all I got here. It was a little longer than I expected it to be. <laughs> no, that's fine. We had a shorter one last week. Get the new year going. Get the people going. <laughs> yes. You got a uh, joke and a fact for me? Of course I do. Oh, yeah. It's my first joke and fact of 2022. They're good, too. Sweet, I'm amped. Which one do you want? Uh, hit me with the fact first. The world record for eating an entire burrito the fastest was 44.20 seconds. <laughs> I need, like, a dimension. Like, a how happy was this burrito? Or am I talking, like, a bean burrito from Taco Bell? Okay, it definitely, it seemed like it was the picture that I saw, which I don't think that this is, like, the actual photo of the burrito, but it wasn't, like, one of those rinky-dink ones from Taco Bell. Okay, it I was, was like because I could suck down one of those you bad go, boys in, like, 44 seconds. <laughs> you go to a good Mexican restaurant, and it's, like, a little thick boy that's got, Oh, you know, those are big. <laughs> yeah, like, the queso, the cheese the tomatoes bunch of lettuce to get stuck in stuck all up in your teeth bunch of meat and not it's even like, enjoying it yes it looked like it was big but i mean i don't know i honestly don't know that's just what i saw i'm so stressed i'm gonna dig in my do some research on this fact to get dimensions <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not out there i'm just like oh interesting definitely wasn't no taco about one though because then it would be like they ate seven Taco Bell burritos in 44.20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be multiple then. <laughs> yeah, those are a little small things. Like Yes. <laughs> 75 okay. cheesy roll-ups in a minute. <laughs> 
Okay, hit me with a joke. Why is there a ring of salt around the margarita glass? Around a margarita glass. Why? To keep the spirits from escaping. (laughs) I think that was like one of my favorites. Wow, that was a good one. It is very clever. Yeah, I actually really like that one. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. To 2022. A mark to 2022. Dang, that was a good one. Well, I appreciate that one. I appreciate your case this week. It was an interesting one I've never heard of. Oh, before we go, I have to shout out who recommended this case, uh, which is my father. <laughs> yeah. He, I had never actually, I've never heard of this case until you told me about it. It's been on my list to cover for a hot minute, uh, but he knew and was like, you have to do this one. And like I said, we went to powerhouse gyms. Uh, maybe one time someone will hear the funny story about how we or why we don't go to powerhouse gyms anymore. Uh, I won't say it on air. I got you, Dad. <laughs> good God. <laughs> uh, it's a good story, Sid. I'll have to tell you off air. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but if you're listening, please check us out on Facebook. Tacos and Tequila podcast. On Instagram, which is Tacos and Tequila. We also have a website, Tacos and Tequila podcast.com. You can rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And Spotify now has that rating option. So if you listen to a couple of a couple episodes, you can leave a rating on there too. Ooh, fun and exciting. Yeah, definitely listen. Tell us what you think on ratings. It's greatly appreciated. It helps us get noticed and it helps us uh, be motivated to keep doing what we're doing, even when we're sick and dying. (laughs) It gets us excited. Yeah, you make our day. So thank you. Yes. Well, that's all I got. So I know this is coming at you late. I'd say we'll talk to you next week, but it's going to be less than a week till our next episode. So we will be talking to you soon. Lucky you guys. A twofer. (laughs) A twofer. Bye. Bye. Ha 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 ha!